Welcome to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I am your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today, we are pleased to have on Christmas Eve as our guest, Mike Elson, Executive Director of the Tennessee Athletic Directors Association. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Mark, thank you for having me. Been looking forward to this for a while. Let's begin by having you share with our listeners here in Utah and actually across the world now, uh, where you grew up, where you went to college, your first job, youth sports, all those types of things. Sure, uh, Mark, I grew up in Newcastle, Indiana, which is a town 50 miles east of Indianapolis. Uh, It was a town of 20,000, I think it's a little less now, I'll I'll put it to you this way. My high school, when I graduated, was called Newcastle Chrysler High School, but Chrysler left the town. So as you can imagine, the the name of my high school changed to Newcastle High School, Uh, but graduated from there in 1982 and um, had a blast growing up. Um, We lived in town, but had family that lived out in the country. So got to experience both, you know, small city or small town living and also uh, country living, um, you know, where I would detassel corn and help, help um, you know, detassel, or uh, not detassel corn, but, um, you know, baling hay and just doing uh-huh. all the things that you did uh, on the farm. But I was the oldest of four boys and um, just had, again, a wonderful time uh, growing up. I, if you picture the movie Sandlot, that was kind of what I experienced and whatever sport was in season on CBS, ABC, or NBC, that's kind of what we were playing over at the concrete schoolyard. Um, none of us had a key to the gym. And so we did everything outside. And, and that includes not making it up, uh, shoveling snow off of a mm-hmm. concrete basketball court so we could play. So I just had a lot of fun uh, growing up in a neighborhood and back, back in the day, you know, your parents felt comfortable sending you a few blocks away from the house. Uh, but that's something I don't advise here and as we approach the year 2022. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Sandlot. I'll just add this parenthetically. And of course, the people in Utah know that. But that film was filmed here in uh, suburban Salt Lake City. Wow, I did uh, they, not know. The, Vin- the Vincent Drugstore is in a little town called Midvale, which is just suburban South Salt Lake City. As a matter of fact, the baseball diamond where they played the game, not the, not the backyard, but the, you remember when he comes in and says, yeah, your place tomorrow, what, what o'clock? And they played that game. I, my grandson actually played at that diamond last summer out in Rose park, which is actually where Tony Finau, the golfers from. And so we were there. And so we were coming in how it was the sandlot field. So kind of a small world there. Very, I had no clue. So that's a good takeaway from the, podcast for myself and all of our listeners absolutely so uh so obviously you talked a little bit about how you uh played sports when you were younger talk about where you went to college and talk about 
what brought you on a path? I'm, I'm assuming you obviously coached before you became an AD. So share that with our audience. Well, and I'll dip back into high school a little bit. You know this, you and I are uh, Kovaleski brothers. And mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Kovaleski was um, my athletic director at, at Newcastle. And a little tidbit that I did not say earlier is uh, my high school is the largest high school gym on a high school campus in the United States. Uh, when they bring in the temporary bleachers, it seats over 10,000 people. And so I just assumed every gym in the country was like that because every school in our conference seated 6,500 or more. Uh, so big gymnasiums in Indiana were important. But Mark, for my path as a coach or an AD, began by how I watched uh, Mr. Kovaleski model uh, being a professional athletic administrator. And then I try, I had a kidney disease when I was young. And I tried out for basketball grades six through 12 every year, and I never made the team. And so I kept, you know, you get cut and try to make it in my senior year. Mm -hmm. um, you heard that video last week about, you know, that, that path of not making the team. But that led me to, you know, play for a little team at the Salvation Army, play church league. And I eventually played at a small college uh, there were three of us from Newcastle that did not make the Newcastle team because I had a classmate named Steve Alford, who's now the head coach at Nevada. Uh, if yeah. that tells you anything about the talent, the talent level. Um, but three of us ended up playing small college basketball. And I played at what's now called Welch College uh, on the first ever official college team here in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. And little did I know that was going to be a precursor to me going to a a school that was K through eight uh, for my first job away from Welch um, to start a brand new athletic program where I, I coached multiple sports, cross country, track, basketball, uh, baseball, soccer, and um, have served as the only athletic director at the school up until this past June, um, which was uh, 34 years. I'm in my 35th year here this year at uh, Christ Presbyterian Academy in Nashville. So it's just been a, it was a gold mine as a young coach and to have the opportunity to grow into my position as an athletic director, um, the positives far outweigh the negative. Well, and let me go back. So we'll just jump ahead. Now you spoke about how we were Kovaleski brothers. So I want you to explain that to uh, our listening audience. And of course, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave this. Well, I'll, I'll just throw this list out there. You talk about the Kovaleski brothers. You're talking about uh, John Olson, Jeff Dietze, uh, Roy Turner comes to mind, Rob Belenko, Fred Smith out of Michigan, uh, obviously Craig Perry, Cass Herbst, uh, Daryl Nance, and, uh, and you, Charles Stevens, and probably Rich, Big Rich Barton before you. Yes, and so, and so Mark, talk, talk about that. Well, I mean, for, for me, um, you know, just being able to think about the lineage of nearly 40 years ago of being in the hallways where, like I said, I watched Mr. Kovaleski be professional but Mark little did I know what he was doing in the development of the NIAAA and and uh, Mr. Kovaleski along with Jim Teff and Jim Watkins uh, Dr. John Olson uh, Don Bales Dwayne Kramer I'm you know I'm not I'm going to do justice for the the original names but I love this statement sometimes you have to go back to the past to understand the future and I think it's important 
um, for individuals like you and I and so many other leaders around the nation to know where we come from, not to live there, but to honor the past, to be inspired by it. So when I think about being in the, in the uh, Mr. Kovaleski family of leaders that you just mentioned, um, it, it's, it, it blows my mind and it's a real blessing. Um, and there's also a responsibility. It's great to be part of a group of individuals like that, but there's a responsibility to honor that legacy and to grow it and help everyone become better than ever. And, you know, the recent uh, 2021 winner, Tim Graham of Washington, um, represents that award as well as any of the names you just listed. And um, so anyway, I, it's just a tremendous honor. I, I don't know what more to say than that. Well, I, lo I look at that list and, well, actually, I know all of them personally. And to give you a little history on this, I was the chair of the awards committee when we discussed Frank had left the NIAAA, Bruce had taken over and having a, an award to, to name after him. What, what does it look like? What would the qualifications be? We decided on professional development. And it, was, it was like a two and a half year process. So it wasn't like the awards committee came up with this overnight. And of course I look at it. And so it was, a, it was a no brainer. People said to me, well, you know, Dr. John will win the first one. And I said, that's kind of obvious. I said, but let's get past 2007. Let's go to 2008. Who's it going to be? Who's going to be in 2009? And you look at a list of those names, and I'm honored to have known them all. And for me to be in that club with people like you, like Tim, like Big Rich, like Daryl, like everybody else that I mentioned, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing because I don't yeah, I, I don't put myself in that club. I put myself as learned from them and continuing on. So it's it's a big deal. Well, and I, I think it's it, it's every name you listed. And again, we didn't get to list them all, but every one of those individuals have a growth mindset. They're lifelong learners. And if there was one phrase that we could tie to that award, I would say it's what you learn after you think you know it all that matters the most. And by that, I mean, there's 53, currently there are 53 four-hour leadership training courses, which I'm sure for Mr. Kovaleski and the other founders probably blows their mind from the first eight-hour course in 1996 to here as we finish, as we just finished the uh, National Conference for 2021. But, but I think having a, a growth mindset, that's the biggest takeaway or one of the biggest takeaways from those um, names you just listed. So you all as an awards committee back in the middle 2000s, you have a lot to be proud of in, in uh, developing this award. Well, you're too kind, but I just, I, it's like I say, I, when I thought of this award, I, I was thinking of people after John Olson that would win it. And of course, my name was never there. And a lot of these people who I didn't know at the time, but I've come since to know weren't there, but it's, it's a great thing. Why don't you, let's go back and shift gears a little bit and share with us some of the mentors and leaders you had in your life that made a difference along your journey. Sure. And, and, you know, for me, um, my number one mentor is my wife of 37 years, Mary, um, our families, the M&Ms, Mike, Mary, Michael, our 33-year-old son, Marshall, our 30-year-old son, and Molly, our 27-year-old daughter. 
Um, honestly, Mark, all of them are mentors for me, um, but especially Mary, who has, you know, spouses um, and living in a, with an athletic administrator, they have to have patience, um, they have to have grace, and they just have to understand you're going to be gone um, all hours of, of the day. And my wife has been that for me. Um, she has supported me. And so she definitely is my number one. Um, and then, like I said, my children. Um, it, isn't that amazing that our children can be mentors for us? I'm still trying to understand social media. Well, why not go to the next generation of, of individuals and learn from what they're learning as they grow up? And so that's been important. Um, my great-grandmother, um, Pauline Jester, she died in 1977, and um, she was a big-time mentor for me, a great encourager. She inspired me to, to think bigger things than I you know, could ever think of myself, and she's like, dream big and, and um, use the gifts that you've been given by God to go bless other people, and here we are, what, you know, 45 years later, if I'm doing the math right, um, and I'm, I'm remembering her like yesterday, and so, um, you know, as far as mentors, um, my family definitely ranks ranks number one in that scenario. Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about how long have you been an athletic director then? So um, it's funny, Mark, I was thinking about this the other day. I have spanned five decades. And here's what's funny about that. I remember uh, growing up, I was a big baseball fan. And I remember them talking about Tim McCarver, a catcher for the Cardinals, who was a great mm -hmm. game announcer. He, he played in 59 and played through the 60s, 70s, and into, I think, 1980 or 81. And they always talked about him spanning four decades. And I don't know why that resonated with me. But I've thought about, okay, I started at 1987 here at CPA. And I think officially I was the AD, maybe 89, mm -hmm. and, and did that through last June of 2021. So I have spanned or touched five decades as an athletic administrator. And, um, but I don't, you know, I'm in my 35th year at my school, I guess 33 officially would have been the number or 32, but definitely over three decades of um, specific no. service as an athletic administrator. And to be, to be part of five decades is incredible. When I retired at Jordan in 2013, uh, one of the last things I said was I taught at Jordan for five decades, 79, which is the last of the 70s, yes, 80s, 90s, uh, the aughts, and then into the teens. And so you've obviously been in the business a long, long time. And so the question is, how is the job of an athletic administrator different today than it was when you first started? And I'm sure there's <laughs> as long a back as you go, there's got to be huge, huge differences in the job. Well, I would say the number one thing is the, you know, the tied to the legal duties. Um, you know, I, I've shared 14 legal duties a lot, like I'm sure you have, Mark, uh, different workshops. And I had somebody say to me, a really high up government official recently, what they don't know, they don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, the superintendent's principals, they probably know about legal issues, but they know the 14 legal duties. Um, so I think just create the, the NIAAA and the NFHS have done a great job, especially the last two decades, 
of creating the value of importance of us having knowledge of what we're responsible for. So that's been a big takeaway. And then when I started in 87, we required a physical form for participation. Now mm -hmm. there are what seven or eight different forms that a student athlete and their parents have to sign uh, before they can participate in athletics. And I would say back in the day, you could make somebody might say, well, I've got an appointment on September the 3rd and you know, it was August 28th. And you might say, oh, it's okay. You can practice for the next four or five days. I know you're getting your physical and by golly, now you better not let anybody <laughs> touch a piece of equipment or field or anything until all of their forms are turned in. So I think the magnification of importance of forms. And then, like I said, just the awareness of, of, um, what is available for us. Think about there were zero NIAAA leadership training institute courses in 1987 when I started. And some have even been retired during my career, but now there are 53. And I think there's a chance we could get up to 56 by the time everyone comes to Nashville in December of 2022. No, I think that's exactly right. So take us down a take us down memory lane and uh, speak to your journey with the with the TIAA and A three A's and the NIAAA and uh, maybe reminisce about some of the great stories or how you first got involved in the NIAAA. I mentioned that because my first conference, believe it or not, was 1997 in Nashville at Opryland, and of course. I was lost the whole time I was there, but that's, that's a different story. So share some of your memories and take us on your journey with, with both those organizations and how you became to be the executive director. Well, uh, for me, I started attending. And if, if anybody gets anything out of this that listens to it, uh, my encouragement is don't sit in the back of the sessions of the courses. Go sit up on the front row. Uh, when I started, I sat in the back. I was scared to death. I started in 1992. We had our uh, Tennessee State Athletic Directors Conference in downtown Nashville. I actually got to meet in person um, a legendary track figure from Clarksville named Wilma Rudolph, who was phenomenal in the 1960 mm -hmm. Rome Olympics. And um, she was so kind, Mark. Um, and, and she ended up dying of, of, brain, of brain cancer like a year later. She was so sweet. She was kind. Um, I thought, who are you to be talking to this 20-something-year-old young athletic director at a school no one had ever heard of? Um, but she just demonstrated her humility to me. So that was a really important first conference because it gave me confidence. I'm like, if a Wilma Rudolph-level individual can speak to me, I can talk to anybody and do anything. And so I've attended um, every athletic director state conference in Tennessee, but uh, one since 1992. And so I slowly got off the back row and started moving up. I'd go to the middle and then I finally got to the front row. And a hero for all of us in Tennessee is a gentleman named Richard Carroll. Richard Carroll was one of the first major award winners from Tennessee. He received an NFHS citation and you know, I was at a private school, or I'm in a private school now. Mr. Carroll was at a public school, and he didn't care about public versus private. 
he just put me under his wings. He encouraged me. He encouraged me to go to the national conference. Um, we'd go to sporting events together. We would hang together. Uh, he's no longer with us, but he's someone that really made a difference. And he's like, Mike, you've got great energy. You have enthusiasm. You know, you're, um, you're somebody that can make an impact for a long time. And, and uh, just hearing him say that made a difference. And then you and I have a mutual friend. And he's actually the one that introduced you and I uh, when I first started going to the national conference in 2003, but that's Mike Kimmons. And mm -hmm. so Mike, I was running, running around the state conference and it looked like Mike was doing everything. And I'm, I was watching that and I'm like, he can't be doing all this by himself. And so he encouraged me uh, to start getting involved. He allowed me to help him prep for the conference um, to just, I started being his gopher. Mike, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And um, he really helped me both at the state level and then again at the national level. And Mark, here's something. Tennessee wasn't represented um, at the Leadership Training Summit in Indianapolis in September. We weren't really represented at the Section 3 meeting until Mike Kimmons started going. So Mike Kimmons, um, he deserves a lot of credit um, for being a liaison between the TIAAA and the NIAAA. And also just kind of being a mentor, if you will, and, and, and kind of trying to bring us along and helping us gain confidence and making sure that we were getting out of our little bubble of Tennessee and more, more so on a national level. Um, so it's just been an incredible journey. So many friends here in Tennessee, and they give me the strength to uh, and, and support um, to be involved on the national level. So I'm really grateful for, for the state of Tennessee and and my teammates here in the volunteer state. And you mentioned Mike Kimmons, coincidentally, back to the Kovaleski discussion, Mike Kimmons would have been a member of the awards committee back when this, when this happened with the Kovaleski award. So small world once again. So share some of your successes. You were obviously became through Mike, you became a state coordinator for Tennessee, began to attend those meetings. So share some of the successes you had about being the state coordinator before you became the executive director in Tennessee. Well, Rusty Taylor from Martin Westview, who is now Jeremy Davidson's the principal in the AD, but Rusty Taylor, he saw me taking all these classes early on. I took four in Indianapolis. Uh, we were in New Orleans, I think in 04, and I took four mm -hmm. more. And I just kept taking a bunch of classes and he's like, uh, Mike, it looks like you love learning. And I said, yes, sir. And he ended up basically handing me the baton and saying, I want you to take over this leadership training um, curriculum and program. And we might offer a couple of courses every year at the state conference. And so, Mark, I started asking other state coordinators, how do you do this? And eventually attended my first leadership training summit in the year 2007. Um, and part of my draw to the NIAAA and TIAAA honestly, was because it was in Indianapolis and I was 50 miles from my home. And so every conference before at the before the conference started and at the end, you know, I'd go see my parents and my, my siblings and family. And that made a difference. But, you know, um, both you and I love a guy named Don Bales mm. and um, Jim Watkins. They are they work really well together. They model leadership. And Don Bales, I love his simple truths. If, if you're listening, if you haven't been to a, 
It's called uh, www.simpletruths.com is an awesome website of inspirational videos and books. And Don always shares a lesson uh, every September uh, from that website or something similar. And so that was really a uh, high value. And, and again, it's the old adage. When I went in 07, I sat on the back row and then I just started meeting people and I started feeling more comfortable and being involved and we'd share ideas. And so um, instead of offering two LTC courses at our state conference, we started offering three sessions and five and six courses. Then Mark, I learned something that I think is of high value that a lot of us miss. And that's doing the, the professional development outreach. Every three years, we as state coordinators can request uh, a grant for an outreach. And so now starting in 2016, we did Belmont University, 2019 Lee University, and here we are back again in 2022. And we've developed a concept where we're gonna do Belmont University on February 28th, Jefferson County High School in East Tennessee on March 7, and then we're gonna to go to Memphis, November 5. And so dividing out a hundred opportunities, you know, we might have 30 to 40 at Belmont, <coughs> maybe 20 at Jefferson County in East Tennessee, and then we'll fill in the rest of the numbers once we get to Memphis in November. And so our state is long, and um, that is something I have gleaned or learned um, from going to Leadership Training Summit is that opportunity for that outreach grant. And another component to that is, um, and I'm sure you've done this in Utah, every three years we can request a $1,000 grant to bring mm -hmm. in a speaker or one of our, for you and I, one of our friends from around the country and have them come in and be a guest at our state conference, which is something we, we've tried to do annually in Tennessee. So again, so many takeaways, um, the free course offerings, uh, to see best teaching practices. I know you do 790 and we had a Tennessean named Greg Wyant from Siegel that was in your course. And he go, after you all taught this past week, he's like, that's the best course I've ever been through. And it was <laughs> so fun and engaging. And, and to see best practices for how to be a great instructor um, with the amazing curriculum that's already at our fingertips. Uh, um, what a great opportunity for us to grow. And that's what I, that's what I gleaned from um, Leadership Training Summit. And then we mentioned Mr. Kovaleski. You know, Jim Teff uh, passed away too early. And you can hear it in Jim Watkins' voice every time he presents the Jim Teff Award. But I was fortunate to be in that family as well a few years ago. And I ended up, you know, writing a handwritten note to Mr. Teff's wife. Um, again, we're in such an honorable profession and um, to get to be associated with those names, is, it blows my mind from when I first started going in 2007. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's some, some great advice for those that are listening today. Now, let's turn our attention to the National Executive Directors, the NEDC. And obviously, you've made that change from a state coordinator to a executive director. So talk about your involvement in the NEDC and how that came about and uh, talk to our listeners, because as you and I both know, that's only that's only one per state. So it's never going to get bigger than 50 people. And so that's kind of a, a select group of people in and of itself. So speak to our listeners about the NEDC and your involvement in it, how that came about. Well, 
what an honor to be involved. And, you know, I'll say, start before I mention the individual that helped me, um, you know, being, I think walking through the path of being an officer of your state association, you know, for us in Tennessee, you know, I was president elect, president and past president, each of those terms being a two-year segment. And then I've been an official board member since 07. So learning the infrastructure of how to run a state association is really important to help prep you to be with the executive directors. But you, Mark Hunter, um, created an awareness and really, really issued a challenge to me several years ago. You're like, Mike, Tennessee does not attend the NEDC um, summer summits. There's nobody representing you at the, at the annual winter meetings with the NIAAA National Conference. And I went back to our board after you issued that challenge. And I just simply said, guys, if you would vote me in, I'd love to be your representative as executive director. And it's been a non-paid voluntary position uh, for me for the last five years. And um, it's something I'm working towards where I can hopefully start getting um, some compensation for it. And I'm journeying, journaling all my responsibilities that are associated with being executive director, like keeping the website up to date, being a liaison to the TSSAA, being a liaison to the NIAAA, um, gleaning and learning best practices from other executive directors from across the nation. Those are just some of the opportunities or responsibilities that exist exist with that position. Um, and, you know, Mark, we just introduced last week uh, uh, the concept of mentoring. So we're going to do a matching pairing mentoring program within the NEDC. Uh, there's so many amazing people in that group. I don't even want to begin to name names because it's all legacy and legendary driven as far as I'm concerned with NIAAA Hall of Fame members. But there's so much wisdom. And what's going to happen is these executive directors, they're going to mentor each other. So if you walked into the room and you had a conversation with you or any other founding member of the NEDC, you would find out quickly that none of you, none of them think they have all the answers. You demonstrate a growth mindset. You demonstrate teachability. And the main thing about the NEDC is that it's connecting all of our states. It's, it's a point of cohesion of leadership and it's just going to strengthen the entire body of the NIAAA. So to hear what's going on, to network, to spend quality time with individuals, um, that is just one of the biggest values. And Mark, because of you, uh, Tennessee has representation. And again, I'm honored to get to be that representative. Well, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Let's let's go back to your uh, comment about mentoring and let's take it back to the NIAAA because you have had such a huge influence in the mentoring committee. Uh, I, for our listeners, you just stepped off as the chair of the mentoring committee, but talk about your work there and what a difference that has made across this nation and throughout the world. Well, for the last 20 months, we as an official mentoring committee have been on a listening observing tour um, and even before that, Dory Smith of Missouri um, chaired a mentoring ad hoc committee, and I was able to be on that. And again, just kind of gaining insight and ideas from different states of what best practices are for a mentoring program for state athletic directors. Um, currently, going back to the state of Missouri, Jen Brooks, one of our committee members, 
mentioned that they have 157 new athletic directors. So Mark, when you think about all of the new athletic directors that are annually turning over in our states, the value of having an experienced athletic director um, embrace a, a new AD is so essential because to me, the position of athletic director is not a stepping stone to being an assistant principal, principal superintendent. It is an honorable position. To me, it, it can be a capped out position where you have maximum leadership opportunity, just like a, a, you know, a principal does. And so why not embrace that um, positive outlook and mindset for the position of athletic director? So one of your individuals who I have great respect for, Trevor Wilson, is one of our 10 mentor committee members. Trevor and I also serve as mentors on the new Daryl Nance um, Innovative uh, NIAAA cohort study. And mm -hmm. Trevor just rep represents you all so well. And thinking about, you know, the impact that you and Rich Barton, Jamie Sheets, Trevor Wilson, all of you are mentors for me. So what we're trying to do is create common language amongst, amongst all the states to have to know that they need a mentor that we even though we've been in this you and I've been in this a long time I'll go back to that John Wooden quote it's what you learn after you think you know it all that matters the most so why would we not have a spirit of teachability and so we want mentors to be teachable and to realize that they have things to learn but to embrace that new athletic director so, so our committee has been phenomenal most committees, I'm guessing you've been on different committees and right. maybe the awards committee met three or four times a year. We've met 20 times in 20 months. And our committee is, has demonstrated great commitment. And then every other month we meet with the state mentoring chairs. So just simply by Mark, by coming together and sharing best practices across the nation from state to state, the collaboration has been rich. And now we're looking to grow this into a, a toolbox on the NIAAA website. We're looking to grow the um, NEDC, National Executive Directors, into a, a mentor-mentee program. And um, there's going to be so many positive outcomes. So we're going to kind of slow down, take a deep breath. Let's get 1% better. Let's grow everything a little bit at a time and see where we end up 12 months from now. So. We have a great foundation of information. Now the challenge is activation or implementation. And mentorship is organic. I've been in uh, mentoring a young man named Patrick Miller out of Clarksville, Tennessee, who, by the way, just achieved his CMAA. And what I've learned from my conversations with Patrick is how important it is for me to be a mentee, for me to learn. I've, it might have started out as me being his mentor but he truly is mentoring me. And so I think it's a sword that cuts both ways and it's going to, it's going to take a spirit of humility for this thing to really get off the ground in every state. But Mark, thank you for bringing that up because there's more awareness of the importance of mentorship and the outcome we may not see for a few years, but I think it's going to be phenomenal. And, and thank you for sharing that. And I think you're right. I don't think we'll see it for a few years, but I think, well, down the road, four or five years from now, it's going to make a huge, huge difference. So that's great. And once again, thank you for sharing. 
Let's now just reminisce, uh, you and I, about the past week, because we just got back from Denver, and we all know it's been two years since we met in National Harbor, but talk about the recent National Conference and just talk to our audience that doesn't get the chance to attend and just talk about the great things that happened there in Denver. Well, I'll start by saying the beauty of the NIAAA is that everyone who attends understands the role an athletic administrator plays in a school. And a lot of that role is in the unseen. There's no applause. Uh, now, coaches I know can get hammered by the media if they're not having a good season from a one-loss perspective, but when they're winning, they get all the praise. You don't get into athletic administration for the praise. You get in it to serve others. And when we attend the national conference, it is 2,000 servants coming together to collaborate and um, share ideas and share best practices. So for you and I, you know, the, um, the national instructors meeting pretty much kicks off the conference at what, three or three 30 on Friday afternoon. Exactly. And from then on out, you are going sun up to sundown. Uh, my last day, I, I arrived at the convention center to help uh, Jim Watkins and Don Bales and Arthur Ballard and Joey Struey um, at 6 15 AM. Jim and Don were already there. And when you end the evening with the awards banquet at after 9 p.m., you realize you just put in a 15-hour day. But here's the thing. When you're going through it from Friday to Tuesday, you never think about, oh, I'm putting in a 15-hour day. Because you just go from one thing to another, and everything is positive affirmation. Everything is helping me get better. You're seeing people that maybe you've never met. We mentioned our mentor committee. Several of us had never met in person until we had lunch on Saturday afternoon as our official committee meeting. Wow. Why did we, we have lunch? Because we'd met for 20 times. And frankly, our committee deserved to have a lunch together instead of sitting in a, in a conference room for three hours meeting about things we've already been faithful to discuss. And so just breaking bread with people, um, you know, getting to hug people, see people, talk to people. Um, celebrate people, right? So we had an award ceremony Friday night. We had another award ceremony Tuesday night. And for any aspiring athletic directors who are listening to this, I want to strongly encourage you, make sure you stay through the end of the awards banquet, because if you want to learn about the history and the true essence of, of the NIAAA and athletic administration, you're going to want to hear the stories of all the people who have come before us because there's a reason they're an award winner. It's because they've worked really hard. Um, but one other characteristic, they have a spirit of humility. And I think, Mark, that's what you and I just were, are feeding off of and why we have so much adrenaline right now is from that, the power of positivity that stems from that amazing conference. Tell me this, because I, I mentioned to my lovely bride, Deborah, on the plane ride home, this conference, for some reason, they always seem to go too quick before you know what they're got. But this one seems like we just got started and it was over. I'm sure it's a function of the fact that we hadn't met for two years. But it, do, do you have the same type of feelings? Oh, it, it's um, what scripture says. Our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And I'm like, whoa, that conference truly did appear for a little while. And then it vanished. 
but Mark, it's kind of like when we're, I mentioned the movie Sandlot earlier. It, 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 it's, it's almost childlike. And I say that in a professional way where we're like a, a child going to camp for a week. And if you remember when you were little, how fast camp week mm-hmm. when that's what you have. Um, that's what you experience when you go to the NIAAA. It literally is a tr- professional development week of camp. And um, yeah, I, I thought it went so fast, but it's because we're around people that I believe tr- truly care about each other. That to me, if I had a, a poster of advertisement about what my experience was, I would say it, it's a group of people who truly care about each other from around wow. the world, not just the nation, around sure. the world. I will ask you this, and uh, this comes up at least in every other podcast, but you talk about the NIAAA family. I talk about the NIAAA family, and I think it's so hard to describe. I've had people listen to the podcast and say, that's not really how it is, is it? And I said, no, that's exactly how it is. And so speak to the NIAAA family and really how you can hear about it and hear about it. But until you experience that, you don't really understand it. Well, and I, I think I've spoken to some of it in the fact that Mark Hunter sees Mike Elson and he's like, hey, you need to do this or think about that. Or, hey, it's nice to meet you or you know, um, you've worn our polo. I've got the UIAAA shirt on right now. I still, I still have my TIAAA vest. I love it. But when I put this on, I think about Mark Hunter and Rich Barton and Jamie Sheets and Trevor Wilson and so Michael O'Connor and so many other people in your state. And I feel connected um, to you. And, and that's what it truly is. And I was thinking about Bruce Whitehead the other day. I, I, I watched him. And, and by the way, if you've never been to a conference, go and just watch p- how people, how leaders carry themselves. Um, I was thinking about Bruce the other day and how he might say a word or two to me early on when I first started attending. And I'm like, how does that legend know my name? Bruce knows the NIAAA as well as anybody. And I was in a meeting with Don Bales and Doug Kilgore, Rich Barton and Jim Watkins the other day. And I was just watching how they were responding to an issue. Uh, I, was wa- I was trying to glean their wisdom, how calm they were, how smart they were with their words. And to me, that captures the essence of the NIAAA. And I feel like they genuinely care. I mean, I can call Dave Ticker in Washington, uh, Fred Balsamo in Connecticut, Bob Stratton in Virginia, Carol Dozebrin in New Hampshire. Um, you know, Rich Barton has been very encouraging to me, especially when I ran for that at-large election last year and did not win. But, you know, Mark, we in the NIAAA, when, if you don't win something or you don't get something you want, you just pivot. And then there are people that will help you. And I'll give you, I, I think to me, this sums it up about for what I'm about to say. During the banquet on Tuesday night, you know, it was discovered or announced that Becky Moran is going to be the next president of the mm-hmm. NIAAA after Mike McGurk. And I congratulate Becky. I'm really proud of her. I'm happy for her. She and I helped co-write the NIAAA cohort uh, mentor program. During the banquet in the middle, Don Bales and Jim Watkins get up and start walking to me like they're the Blues Brothers. And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> what have I done? 
So they walk over to me and they just gave me words of encouragement. The domino of that is they, they know, you know, we put everything we've got into it. We run for the election. If we don't win, we're disappointed. But the NIAAA gives you opportunities to pivot and serve in other areas. Well, after the um, banquet the other night, you know, Anthony Fisher and, and um, Lacey London of, of Washington, Anthony in Minnesota, they ran the at-large election. Anthony won. Well, I went and found Lacey afterwards. And I just said, congratulations. There's going to be more opportunity. And to me, that's the long-term domino effect of the NIAAA. And maybe what if you're outside looking and you don't understand? But Don Bales and Jim Watkins, and you know, they're Hall of Fame members. And oh yes, for, for two Hall, I mean, literally, officially Hall of Fame NIAAA members. For them to be to have two Hall of Fame members think of Mike Elson and have empathy, I, I, I don't know how better to frame up the true essence of why the NIAAA is so special. No, that is so, so very well said. And it, it takes me back to 99 when I lost the at-large election and felt just like you did. But look what happened to me since. For me, maybe losing that election could have been the best thing that happened to me because it, it provided me the chance to be on the awards committee. It provided me a chance to be the chair. It provided me another chance to be on the board when Utah got its turn, a chance to be on the strategic plan. I mean, all those things, the uh, leadership training, et cetera, et cetera. So, so very well said. What's the favorite part of your job, Mike? I think my favorite part of my job, I know most people say it's the students and that's definitely an important part, but I have enjoyed finding great coaches who I know are going to love the students unconditionally. I've searched for coaches who are not going to be identified or defined by the scoreboard. I've searched for coaches that know that their true success, the true measure of success is going to be discovered in 20 years, not now. And so that was my favorite part of my job is trying to hire great men and women who would be strong leaders beyond the field or court of play. And, um, and then, you know, to see them succeed, to know that they're loving the students unconditionally, and then to see them succeed, that to me is the true essence of success. That's a great answer and great insight. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, let's finish up with a couple of questions here. The first one would be, you've had years and years as an athletic administrator. If you had advice two things that a brand new athletic director must do in order to be successful, what two things would that be? I would, number one, and I always quote Coach Wooden, but I would say drink deeply from good books. Number two, I'm going to give you three. Number two, it, I love the word industriousness, hard work. Uh, be willing to work hard. And then be willing, and that ties into the industriousness part, be willing to work hard and to do things with that, knowing full well that you'll never be publicly praised. That's really important for a new athletic director. And um, that means you've just got to be driven to succeed in, in the unseen. What question should I have asked you that I failed to ask? I would say, you know, for me, um, you know, what's my 
transformational purpose statement or my why? And I'm going to give you the answer to that question. Um, I have a transformational purpose statement on my business card that says I serve by demonstrating a genuine heart of care for everything I do for coaches and students participating in education-based athletics. So it's important for us to know our why, and that's my why. Well, that's, <laughs> I couldn't have said it better, and I can't uh, think of a better thing, a better point to end on. That concludes another edition of the UI AAA Connection. Once again, our guest has been Mike Elson, CMAA, Executive Director of the Tennessee Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today. Mark, it's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UI AAA Connection. It will be our conference special, which will be the last edition of the year. And we have a little bit different music to end this presentation. We have a recording of Tall Grop, Doug Kilgore, Deborah Hunter and Pam Whitehead playing outside the banquet as people left a, a famous Christmas carol. So thank you once again for being here for our listeners tuning in again next week. Oh.